Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, this is a little thing we do called Dev2 Review, where we get together once a week and talk about the top seven posts on Dev.2. Uh, my name is Dan. And my name is Malik. And if you like this or you've read anything we've done or you like, uh, you know, dumb jokes on Twitter, uh, you can follow us both on both Dev2 and Twitter at Dan Gallant. And at MilkStars. Malik, how's your week going? Uh, it's going pretty good. I've been trying out uh, like streaming on Twitch or different stuff, and I've almost got like this subscribe button thing, so that's pretty cool. But other than that, pretty standard. How about you? I don't know what that means uh, oh, because yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, an old man, as evidenced by the fact that today uh, I was working on like a really hard problem, and I realized by the end of the day that I had been listening to just George Strait on loop for like 10 hours. Oh man. <laughs> um yeah, so I'm I'm an old Texan man, I guess. <laughs> um you want to get into our post for the week? Yeah, so our first post is VS Code settings you should customize by Jeff Stevens. So in this article, Jeff kind of goes over some productivity hacks in VS Code that people should customize. And some of the things that are included in that are like code formatting, font ligatures, and other little things like that. So one of the things that I really liked um, in his post is that how he said how ligatures could be helpful for people, but he doesn't recommend that everybody use them because... Some people are used to seeing it read a certain way. Maybe you're like used to taking notes and like reading a specific way. And then like when it comes back to like reading Can you code, explain what a font ligature is? Yeah. Okay. So like for like the font ligatures, it's like those things where you have like a greater than or equals to sign where you have literally greater than and literally equals to. And they'll change it into like the greater than with a line over it. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. Underneath it, yeah. Yeah. So it's essentially taking combinations of characters or certain characters in general used in certain contexts. Yeah. And swapping them out. Yeah. So that was just for the benefit of anyone listening who might not know. But um, my opinion on that stuff is that like I like my editor and my um, like tools editing the actual characters as little as possible. That's like where um, there was that editor that came out like a few years ago or not came out, but like. Um, there was this like rock star programmer editor, which like if you kept a typing chain going, like the screen would start shaking and like flames would start going everywhere. And like, <laughs> it was a joke, Yeah. but like, that's where we start getting when I see some of these editor customizations where I'm like, and also like, I mean, if you've ever had to like deal with a, um, byte order mark issue or like, um, some like encoding problem because of your editor, like I just I just don't trust it. Like I don't trust software enough to be like voluntarily adding more software. But there was some cool stuff in the list. Yeah, yeah. So like, like in JavaScript, you know, like the arrow functions are like equal than greater than sign. Like sometimes when it turns that into an arrow, like oh okay, that makes a little bit more sense versus like a greater than or equals to sign. But like in that case only is like the only real sense time it makes sense. Right, right. Yeah, it's like pretty. And then you remember that like, it's like when do you remember seeing when you were a kid, like 3D desktop application, like, like Windows desktops that like actually had like walls and stuff. Oh, and they were like yeah. three dimensional. And you'd be like, Oh, that's so cool. And then you have to use it. And it's like terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I think the one thing I um, took from the like, the, the first of all, I like that he actually mentioned how to change your settings. Uh, because 
you know, not, not a huge assumption, right? Yeah. Or like, um, not a given. Um, they changed it. I've noticed, like, I don't go into my, I used to be really into like, like keeping my VS code config, like real updated when I learned about new stuff. Yeah. I don't really anymore. Um, but, uh, I noticed they changed it and I don't like it as much. It used to be like just two columns and like JSON with options. And then like the, it was your oh, workspace settings, yeah. your user settings and your team settings. Yeah, and they no. made it like a GUI now. And yeah. It's a table view. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. can like still access the JSON file, but, but it's like the, out the, the button, way. the button isn't easy to find. Yeah. It's like on certain settings. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did like the highlight modified tab setting that was like more, um, obvious than the little circle mm-hmm. i wish there that there was an integration or someone should make an integration for git lens which is a great vs code extension that just shows me files that have already been saved but are different from master or from the branch that like you know you get what i'm saying so like you look and let's say you... so the highlight currently mm-hmm. shows you highlights tabs or does a little circle on tabs that haven't been saved yet I want it on any file that differs from the branch that you're oh, that branching you're pushing off of. to. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or plan to. The only thing I turned on out of these um, was turning off my cursor blinking. Cause I remember reading like a few years ago that the cursor blink increases the, like just turning off the cursor blinking uh, uh, decreases the baseline. Um, uh, I can't remember if it's, I think it's uh, memory consumption of VS code by like a significant amount. Oh my God. Just having to continuously like remember to blink as it goes yeah, through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, increases resource utilization. So I just, tur- I finally turned it off cause I've wanted that for a while. Did you take, did you take any of these or? Uh, no, I had a lot of them. So it was kind of just like, cool. Yeah. That's a re- reaffirmation that I'm, I have somewhat good taste in VS code extensions. Yeah. The setting sync was interesting. I remember like uh, uh, last year, uh, I used it um, to share with my team. Mm-hmm. Um, it like dumps the file and ter- it turns it into a gist automatically, which is nice. Yeah. I also like the formatting format on save. I don't use as much as I used to, because if you're in a code base that isn't fully linted and you go into a file that hasn't been edited, it like incidentally just creates huge diffs yeah. for no reason. And like, it just doesn't, I- I've, I've shied away from actually adding extensions at this point because I've also noticed that like VS code is starting to get a little slow. Yeah. That um, was the same thing. It's like, you, I had like 30 plus extensions. I'm like, Oh my God, this is actually taking. Well, like- even without it, there's like, it's got its own notification system. Like it's got mm-hmm. a lot of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know if I want this. You know? <laughs> um, I might be switching editors soon. <laughs> um, anyway, you want to move on to the uh, next post? Yeah. So our next one is the developer's guide to getting fit by Eric Bichard. So Eric in this post goes over how he managed to lose 30 pounds by implementing intermittent fasting, a calorie deficit, and a healthy workout schedule. Uh, so I could say that a lot of the advice in this guide is good at like a general sense. Like if you aren't doing any of this and you're trying to figure out like a simple way to lose weight, this might be like one of the ways you could do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know people who've tried uh, most of this is about intermittent fasting. I would have actually loved to see more about like his workout routine and stuff. I know plenty of people for whom intermittent fasting has worked. I also know plenty of people who like, not plenty of people, but I know a few people for whom it was just like a manifestation of like problems with food. And it was like a hack to get around that, but it didn't address their actual issue. Yeah. So like this kind of comes up against my general line of 
I don't necessarily agree with the authoritative way people like to write on the internet of like, this is how you do this thing. And, you know, and there's no like, well, why am I, you know, why? Like, why you, do it you, this way? Yeah. And, and, and it, it runs up against one of the other things I see on the internet a lot, particularly in like dev spheres is really centering yourself around being like a developer or a writer or a marketer. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is like a developer's guide to getting fit. And it charts a journey that like I feel very heavily like I've lost 60 or more pounds before, you know, and it's tough, you know what I mean? And like yeah. you, you want to give advice after, but like, I don't know. I mean, is it, is it going to make you better at your job? Is being better at your job, like a goal, right? Like where does like, where does code come into this? Where does like being a software developer come into this? I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. I guess I could see that like if if the goal is to just better yourself, you know, there are other ways of doing that and maybe that would be worth mentioning too. And and neither your role as a software developer uh uh, uh like it it doesn't have to play into like that in any way. Like you don't have to like get fit the software developer way, nor does like getting fit have to serve being better at being a software developer. So maybe my issue is more just with the title, but I don't know. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Like, have you have you taken any of your work or like professional kind of knowledge and tried to apply it to like bettering yourself, whether it's at fitness or at anything else? I've tried to apply it to like keeping myself on like a regimented schedule and tracking like how well I'm doing, like similar to what you were saying about how you used your Google Sheets API to do that. I tried to do a similar thing to keep up with how much uh, music I was learning, mm-hmm. uh, like chords songs i was i've practiced etc like that but nothing related to like health so yeah i've seen cool like quantified self projects and things like that and i worked on like a a fitness device a couple of years ago with a friend um that would like try and automatically track workouts but like that's a case of like you know i know how to do this thing you know, let's see if I can apply it elsewhere. I think a lot of people, particularly like coming into the field, are like trying to tie to like this and other stuff together. Like, I don't want to say in the wrong way, but like in, in a way that I don't think is going to be beneficial. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, if IF works for you, like that's great. I also strictly like keep to the code of like not taking advice from people on the internet about my personal health yeah um that's like something that i think you should go to your doctor for you or know? a nutritionist or a nutritionist yeah. or a personal trainer or like i don't know yeah um but you know congrats to eric for losing all this weight and like keeping the schedule i mean you know as someone who finds it difficult to work out you know every day you know props to you man well, I don't work out at all, so you're winning. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I wish, man. Not not all of us are as naturally fit as you are. Uh, uh, anyways, you, you cool to go on to the next one? Sure, please. Yeah, so the next one is Code Smart, Not Hard by Miklos Bertalon. So in this article, Miklos provides five tips on how developers can be efficient when deploying large production apps. It will, especially under certain use cases, like you're working with, uh, React Redux, and you were using Axios as an API, and you're like bootstrapped under Create React app was the specific example he gave. He provides these different frameworks for how you should uh, write your code that will provide a better user experience in a ton of different ways, which he gets into in the post. Right. 
So I really um, one thing that I was really glad that he touched on was the whole uh, routing user, user experience, because I think that a lot of large applications just don't think about that at all. The amount of times I've had like three bars in my history of like me just trying to log in. That happens to me when we like try to upload our stuff on SoundCloud and I like try to go back and it's like, wait, now I'm not logged in. Wait, if I refresh the page, am I logged in? No, I have to log in again. Oh. And it's just like it can get really confusing. Yeah. Um, speaking as someone who's like reworking an auth implementation in place that has to support like seven not even seven it's like more than that it's probably more than a dozen flows and i'm trying to consolidate it all into one thing i don't know that it's not thinking about that sort of use case i think it's not having architected for unseen needs early on you know what i mean like i mean i've had my own like personal apps where i'm like okay, here's like the protected routes and here's the public routes and they're all in one file. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like they're handled by the same, like the public router will redirect to the private router rather than having like a top level router and then two separate routers or like it'll have like protected, like getting a consistent approach on this is like difficult because you don't know into the future what you'll need, which is where Miklos's post kind of comes in is like, here's what you're always going to need. You yeah. know what I mean? There, so I, I don't know if you've seen it, but there are things like um, Laravel and like Bullet Train. I think Laravel is the PHP one, mm-hmm. or maybe it's some. I think Laravel is a framework. And yeah, then, it's a framework for PHP. Yeah. Yeah, but there's there's another thing on top of Laravel that's like pre-built, like SAS in a box, and Bullet Train for Ruby hmm. is the same thing. Is like it comes with a user model. It comes with like the ability to like pay. You pay like five hundred dollars, and they give you code that does this stuff. And I think like this is kind of in a similar vein. It's like, here's what you're always going to need no matter what. And if you don't end up needing it, like, you know, that's fine. Right. But like, <laughs> you're day, getting it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, um, so actually, before I go on to, to the other subject I want to talk about, this is this goes back to, I think, an earlier post we talked about uh, a few weeks ago of like, uh, running rails or maybe this is just a conversation I had you can like generate rails projects in API mode where it like doesn't generate any views to begin with um, or provide you with like the basic structure to do views uh, and I was talking to someone and they're like yeah I never use that because even if you're just providing an API at some point someone's going to need like an admin panel yeah um, th- I noticed Miklos is a agency slash consulting guy um I was wondering, in what situations would you rather be working with someone with a background in agency and consulting where, like, you have a bunch of small projects that you have to do, like, continuously that have, like, a start and end of a contract versus when would you rather be working with someone who's, like, worked on products for a long time? I feel like it depends on the scope of projects that needs to be done. So, Mm -hmm. like like marketing marketing pages are a great example if you need if you're planning on releasing a new product let's say you're a, like specifically like a hardware product and like let's say you're Nike and you're about to like put out like some some new sneaks right mm-hmm. and you don't need the engineering power to like power the Nike site continuously so you're going to go and hire a consultant who can do that work in the uh in like the short term and then you can you know they can go on and look for other projects in the meantime. So I think it's more less. But like, I'm talking about you as an individual developer. What kind of like in what situations do you want to work with people with histories in one or the other? You know what I mean? I guess I never really think about that. I feel like I've just always been just thrown into like whatever I've yeah, been sure. given, given. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of sparked this in my mind because I think like mm-hmm. the skill sets are very different, right? Like 
or not skill sets, but like the, the mental toolkits are very different. If you take someone who's been building products for a long time and you're like, I need like to, to throw this hardware product up. Right. Yeah. I doubt many will go first thing to like, Oh yeah, let's throw a Wix page up or let's throw yeah. like a Squarespace up for like the marketing page or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though that's like really the best thing to do. You it's know the easiest, I mean? like, yeah. I would, I, not even easiest. It's the best for maintenance, right? Yeah, because that's, yeah. then update requests aren't routed through you mm-hmm. um, to like change wording or something, right? Yeah, um, which I can speak from experience. I had to work on the brand page and there were like little like text changes. They were like, actually, could you change the wording to this? I'm like... I guess. <laughs> right. And maybe that means that you shouldn't be running it in uh, API mode because you yeah. need an admin panel. Um, so yeah, it just opened up that question of like, what is the different at the end of a career, someone who's been a dev or any job in like an agency or a consulting place, like, or kind of in a place where you're doing a lot of projects that are in some ways very similar, but they're all in short time frames, is going to have a very different way of thinking than someone who like builds products and then maintains them for years. You know what I mean? Oh, for sure. Or comes in in the middle of a product mm-hmm. and then like maintains it. You know what I mean? And adds features and stuff. Yeah. So I'm curious, like it's a very interesting mix. And I think I want to be on, on a team with people with either both types of experience or with like different people who have each kind, you know? Oh yeah, for sure. I think, uh, uh, so from at my like current job, there is kind of a mix like that where we have a lot of people who have a lot of experience working on like marketing pages and the way that they like think about creating it is like super different from me who only really has experience creating like digital products or working on not even creating like maintaining digital products. So, sure. so if, I guess a good example would be when they are planning on like even from a planning perspective when they want to like ship out features they tend to ask like way more questions about how things should like interact like from a product perspective like how they can make changes with it versus me when i'm just kind of like okay how do we want xyz to work in general and like the whole mindset yeah i mean they're coming in from a higher level right yeah like um yeah, I've noticed that as I've worked longer, my answers to questions are much less convinced. Like, if someone asks me if we can do something, my answer generally hues, hues closer to maybe than yes or no. Yeah. Um, and when I ask people something and they say, like, uh, I don't know, or, like, they say, like, not even I don't know, but, like, uh, no, no, that's not necessary, I tend to press them more on, like, listen, it makes no difference to me. Like it is the same amount of work to make it work both. Like people aren't willing to like, they're afraid to make you do more do work, more work. Yeah. in a lot of cases. I mean, some people go in the other direction, but yeah. like, <laughs> um, uh, so the, the types of questions and my level of conviction has gone down, which ties back to my idea that like software development kind of hurts people's social skills and you need to like, flex them continuously because like it makes you less sure of things you know what i mean about like everything becomes a question you know what i mean that's true and i feel like that's not a bad thing because like especially in software where everything is like so malleable and like easily changed that that's like the whole point of it it's not hardware which is like you once you put out a prototype the only way you can change it is by releasing a new one Versus software where you can like actually go in and make like hot fixes and stuff. Sure, sure. And I think like, uh, yes, it's more malleable than we like when we get down into the nitty gritty, people are like, yeah, we have to do it A or B. And no one's like asking like, do we have to do anything at all? 
Um, I think the first mark of like a developer I like working with is the ability to pull themselves out of a certain context. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I also think it's not necessarily a bad thing that it makes you unsure, but it's something you just have to be aware of. Oh, yeah, if I showed sure. you a line of like Ruby code, um, you wouldn't be able to tell me whether something was a function call or a variable. Yeah. Um, like, no. <laughs> bec- no, I'm not saying you wouldn't be able to. Like someone, any, mm-hmm. like someone familiar wouldn't be able to tell you because... Uh, you can do like naked function calls. Oh. And that okay. like when I saw that I was like what? And now I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of helpful because it helps you like replace things and like kind of it it it, it creates second like second order effects that are really interesting. Hmm. Um do you want to move on to the next piece? Yeah. I feel like we had a good discussion here but we should move. Totally. Yeah. So the next one is the 14 habits of highly effective developers by Paul Asaris. So in this article, Paul highlights seven different like habits of highly effective mid-level developers focusing on things like best code, code practices, like, um, like beautifying code and stuff like that. And a couple of like, and one mindfulness tip that newer developers can adopt in order to become like a mid-level developer. So Paul definitely touches on a lot of things that lead to more performant code, but like as if we've talked about in like other episodes, what brings someone from junior to mid-level is that understanding that things can be written in the wrong way and be changed later, and that's not bad. Like, like obviously you're not going to just write things in like a terrible wrong way, but you don't want to make the mistake of making the wrong abstraction early because the time it takes to find the right abstraction after that can be really expensive. Yeah, I uh, um you made you made a lot of very interesting points right there. I will say that a lot of what I see here written by Paul reminds me of a practical object-oriented uh development in Ruby by Sandy Metz. Oh. Um but it's it's a little different, which which I I found an interesting like sort of um not contradiction but contrast. Mm-hmm. Um uh I read so, so Paul's big tips are write small methods, give meaningful names, um, don't clutter your methods with many parameters, avoid too many methods in a class, use stable releases, learn to identify common design patterns, and always think of the next guy. And what I find interesting is that's all the stuff that I came in strongly believing in, well, except for the write small methods, which um, he says no longer than 20 to 30 lines, which... When I've seen write small methods mentioned, it's like five lines. Yeah. Um, so that kind of like raised an eyebrow. But this is all stuff I came in, believe it, came into my first job strongly believing in. And then I was kind of hit in the face with like produ- like what uh, uh, an enterprise code base looks like. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> um, it like levels of indirection that like. You know, I couldn't wrap my mind around in like, you know, a week, meaningful names that are only meaningful, like hyper contextually, you know. So I, I would almost say this is like good things to remember, right? It's not necessarily things to like learn because these are like our core values and we just sacrifice them constantly. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, I guess that. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Another thing that he mentions in the post is about, about how you can use the correct design pattern when you're when you're writing your code. And I feel like that's something I think that's something that's really good for junior level people to like uh, study up on, because if they ever come up into those situations again where this is a design pattern can be like applicable, uh, it'll save them a lot of time. Uh, in terms of one, like just writing code and two, just like thinking about how you would like also write tests and stuff. And let's say you're doing test driven development. It's like a good thing for that too.
Yeah, that's that's interesting. I I see design patterns kind of coming up again. Like it's it's a current trend. You know, things like get popular and then they die off and then they get popular again and then they die off. I think we're losing a lot of the history where there were people on the other side of sort of like the object-oriented development, like design pattern kind of fight, right? Of like, you know, strong design pattern advocates would often be like, okay, well, this is just like another case of like X pattern, right? And like you would get new ones every once in a while, but they, like there, there was like a, you know, I mean, there are books, right? Yeah. Like, um, I can't say, I think des, I treat design patterns like the algorithms that matter more often. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like I think having a good knowledge of algorithms is helpful for when you're just as background information, when you're trying to solve problems, um, knowing them like the back of your hand is not important. Knowing what they're used for is important, right? Mm-hmm. I treat design patterns the same way and I treat like principles of good design kind of more importantly than that. And then I leave myself sort of free form. I yeah. like to like, I don't like evolutionary architect architecture, but I do like evolutionary implementation that then fits into an architecture. Yeah. You know, but maybe I'm free to do that because like a lot of what we've done has pretty much conform, like a lot of what people do nowadays does pretty much fit into like MVC or like MVVM, you know, or whatever. All right? these other paradigms that are out there. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, always think of the next guy. I'm, I mean, if you're a selfish person, just always think of yourself because you're going to be back there like, 12 months from now yeah and you don't want to hate yourself yeah do you want to move on (laughs) yeah Uh, so our next post is sequel series from a to z by helen anderson another returning champ of this show so in this article helen covers an exhaustive list of jargon uh new of for data um, so in this article helen covers covers an exhaustive list of jargon covering stuff that new and experienced analysts should all know um and i loved it because this is just like the aws one we that we she didn't like a couple of weeks ago or was that like back last year right in october or something like that and something that i really like about it is how she also finds a way to like tie it back to like a post from a member in their community on each letter and it just makes me realize like how like we said before how fast the dev2 is growing and the breadth of content that's available and i still constantly get stuck in my own little bubble of javascript productivity yeah no totally i mean the number of authors that i saw in here that like i i was like okay let me like check this out and a it was great and b it was about subjects that i had never seen on like the front page and stuff Mm -hmm. um was really kind of astounding um you know just some thoughts on the platform itself I know like um, new authors and new um, uh, uh, and new posts get uh, sort of uh, bumped on the front page uh, in order to kind of keep the community fresh. But I'd I'd like to see or I wouldn't like to. I think it would be interesting to see what revisiting that would yield, because there are a lot of people who and this is nothing against people who do quality work, um, show up a lot of times. Right. And I would be interested to see some of these like interesting things. you know, posts on OLTP versus OLAP or, or parallel processing that like don't kind of make actually, it to the front. Yeah. Parallel processing was Helen. Um, so I haven't been reading much recently. I've been really busy, but I also sent this to a friend who's like trying to become a data analyst. He's mm-hmm. like a business analyst right now or something. He's like some other job. Yeah. Um, and I like that this is a collection. I would love to see like in community 
um, like awesome lists like on GitHub. Yeah. But, uh, but just linking back into the community, you know. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, do, uh, do you have any other thoughts? Do you read anything off this list? Uh, yeah. So like one thing that I thought was really interesting was the like the window functions tool, which basically allows you to uh, make it's, it's like almost like a like a CTE, which he did like a post on, which is kind of like a like a sub query mm-hmm. and allows you to like keep account of like all the records while you're in it. So you have like this outer scope of the of the query that you're making and you still can keep like an aggregate of how many things match a specific criteria inside of that subquery and just like the i think she said she was going to write a deep dive into it because i was like thinking about that i'm like whoa that seems like it could be really powerful and uh so definitely looking forward to that post from her but i thought that was cool yeah there's a there's a funny little one on uh on disaster recovery uh in there that i thought was particularly worth it you want to introduce our next post? Yeah. So our next post is 21 platforms that serve as a lifeline to the web developers by Nikhil. So in this article, uh, Nikhil goes over an array of communities, tools, and websites that developers, especially freelance in this post I saw, uh, may find essential in their day-to-day job. So this post was like a little bit of a like a blast from the past for me because I saw a whole bunch of sites that I used to use when I was doing freelance. There are a couple of ones like uh, Render Forest, Unsplash, Behance, et cetera, et cetera, that I remember referencing for like design inspiration or just to like get some free stock photos to throw up in my portfolio. It's a lot of the stuff you you don't want to handle yourself when you're doing like a freelance or personal exactly, project. Exactly, yeah. And it's it's a lot of the stuff that really sets your you know, let's say not freelance, but like your personal projects apart, like the stuff where people are like, wow, this is so polished. You're like, yeah, well, you know, because I made a smart decision and offloaded like a bunch of the work onto like free resources I could use or something. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, were there any in particular that like you weren't familiar with that caught your eye? There was um, not under the, the websites, but there was this uh, uh, tool called a Lambda test mm-hmm. that was used for like cross browser testing. Um, and I was wondering like how that like stacks up to <laughs> stacks up to browser stack, which is kind of like the like standard, I feel like for cross browser testing. And yeah, I mean, the UI looked pretty cool. I don't I haven't I haven't used it, so I can't really I didn't do any like research of like how they compare. But yeah, he, he so actually it's funny. Uh, Nikhil's post was what led to my example of like having to do a marketing page and how like a product, you know, steeped. Uh, a dev versus an agency steep dev would handle it mm-hmm. um, because this UCraft site kind of uh, caught my eye with its design Remember versus which like one that was it was it was a site builder kind of like Wix or Squarespace oh, okay. but it just looks more like it actually looks more like um, dev two it, it, it has this kind of like not anti design but this sort of like um, uh, I don't want to call it brutalist because I think that whole movement went in a weird direction but like. Um, web brutalist kind of thing of like thick outlines and like black and white. I just, I liked it. So I'm going to check it out. Yeah. I think these are, again, this is another example of something that like we see on GitHub, these like awesome lists that are now kind of coming over here, which I think is great because it's like kind of the best stuff of GitHub community coming over here. Yeah, totally. Um, and then there was like another website that I just wanted to throw on there because I it it brought me to the blast from the past. If you're if you're ever looking for like uh uh like stock photos to use on like uh, websites, you should check out StockSnap.io. Uh, mm-hmm. It has a lot of like free 
uh, good pictures of, especially of like nature, fruits, stuff like that. So, mm, interesting. Yeah. I can't think of another, like of any tool. I should look back at my dot files, but like, I can't think of any tool that I'm like, I need this immediately. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, maybe this one extension I have, um, or like these series of scripts that let me lock my computer from, uh, from my home screen yeah. <laughs> or from my, uh, from the, uh, spotlight. Um, like I type in sleep, like that's the that thing makes... I need. You know I mean? Oh no, that sounds super helpful. Oh, uh, that's the thing that when I'm setting up a new computer, I need first. Cause I don't want anyone looking at my screen. Oh dude. I just have a, I have an AFK command. I just put in the AFK and it just like locks everything down. That's what I have at work on this laptop I have right in front of me right now. And uh, I don't like it as much as the uh, like Lewis scripts that I found on GitHub. Because mm. um, it, it doesn't actually lock. It's just AFK. Oh, that's, but, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It just, it just d- turns off your screen versus, yeah. like, versus like actually locking, locking your computer. Yeah. 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 I can't think of like what tool can I not live without? I don't know. That doesn't come. I mean, I guess like NVM and like it's not in the same category, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I need to get better about just relying on other people. I think I try and do like too much on my own. Not to go into too much of like a side tangent, but have you used NVM with AVN? NVM, the version manager? Yeah, with AVN. What's AVN? AVN is like a tool that allows you to control your node version across multiple folders and directories by setting uh, like a like a mvmrc or like right right so it's top. like meta nvm mm-hmm. no i mean i haven't really needed to oh so, yeah, yeah i just uh, thought that it was a cool extension that i recently found out about yeah i've i've i mean i guess that that would be that kind of frees you from the next order of like concerns of like we want to have different apps on different versions of node yeah uh and this is like and we don't want to constantly keep having to switch back and forth um yeah i mean i think that's probably helpful oh yeah yeah. in that case yeah um anyway uh you want to introduce our next one yeah so our last one is 20 vs code extensions you'll actually use by al romano so in this article al goes over 20 vs code extensions that could be useful primarily for front-end developers whenever you're trying to do like client work or maybe you're working on a side project or a couple of the couple of the extensions were just kind of like productivity tools too so like I said, like I said before, whenever I see posts like these, this is always just like a reaffirmation that like, oh, I have good taste in extensions. Yes, yes, yes. Um, three, I guess, three main extensions from this list that I'd personally recommend to people are uh, Git, uh, Git Lens, uh, Setting Sync, which are two that you mentioned, uh, Rainbow Brackets, and then Import Cost. Uh, import cost for people who don't know is just like an extension that allows you to see the size of different packages that you're bringing in. So let's say you're trying to bring in, this is like a really old school example, but you bring in like all of Lodash. You don't want to bring in all of Lodash if you're just using one function from it. So how can you restructure your import so that you only get that one thing? I will say I pretty much don't install extensions a that like mess with any of the input or or vis you know this goes back to our earlier conversation i don't want anything messing with what i'm seeing mm-hmm. and i don't really like like anything that triggers an on key event because uh or an on click event because i feel like it starts to get clunky you know what i mean like i feel like i'm like the, the base app itself is starting to get heavy yeah um i did install i think it was from this post um uh, the extension that changes window colors mm-hmm. um, because I do find myself in like three different repos at once and three different instances of VS code mm-hmm. and they're all black. Um, that's just generally a problem for me 
with all software is like the screen's either white, gray, or black, and yeah. I forget like where stuff is. Yeah, oh, I've um, been there. Um, another one that I thought was cool that he mentioned was the Polo Code. Basically, allows you to take like a screenshot of certain sections of code, and it'll make like it'll give it like the whole like Mac border and stuff. Um, and I was at first I had saw this on Twitter like a couple of months ago. I think like West Boss mm-hmm. like tweeted tweeted it out, but like I didn't realize you could literally like like select portions of code and then it'll put it into that little frame. So I was like, Oh, that's definitely way more useful than I thought it was. (laughs) Right. Right. My only question is, does that belong in your editor? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or should Mm -hmm. that be just like its own thing? Yeah. Cause it's a screenshot tool, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's some, there's some interesting stuff in here. There's a a built in the, the the live server for, for local development and reloading uh, is helpful because I often find myself like having to find some random node module that's like the simplest server. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I've fallen off on on VS Code. I ex- I think pretty soon people are going to have a new like hot editor. Um, I will say that the Ruby support is, in my experience, much worse than the JS support. Oh really? Yeah, it's a it's definitely like a JS first kind of browser. And when I've written Ruby, Python, and Go. Uh, Go was like fine, Python less so, and then the Ruby support is just like not great. Yeah, the Scala support is non-existent. So. Yeah, <laughs> it's like um, even like the stuff that is like that there are extensions for or like that's supposedly supported, like settings are just broken. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think people are going to like fragment back into IDs at some point. Yeah, people are going to go back to IntelliJ, I think, if they're let's say if their job will cover right right yeah Yeah. i mean i'm not even sure like i'm not sure about a specific vendor but yeah i do see more people like being yeah uh more into like webstorm or whatever um because i mean vs code at this point is just like a really light ide like Mm -hmm. it's never going to be eclipse hopefully yeah it's never going to be like visual studio but like it's kind of getting there it's getting there i feel like it's doing it's literally doing what an ide does but it's just not loading everything up front like an ide Right. It's like, it's, it's, you know, it's funny. It's the JavaScript approach to making an IDE where like (laughs) you, it's like lightweight and like, you know, it's, it's like if, if, uh, an IDE was made by, um, what is the name? TJ who made express, right. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, it's a super lightweight server, but you have to put everything on it yourself. Yeah. And like, there's three different options and none of them is clearly better. And I just, I don't know. I started writing Rails a year ago and I'm like, this is so much easier. I don't have to think about anything. You know, there's not like 15 different modules that handle, you know, making something click or something. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, dude, you should totally tweet this. That's, that's like, so true. <laughs> I, I should stay off Twitter. <laughs> um, uh, someone today uh, on Twitter misspelled Turing test as tiring test. And I'm like, if we're applying the Turing test to every computer, I'm applying the tiring test to every person. Like, <laughs> like if I text you like, hey, do you want to go on this trip in a couple of weeks? I'm getting a group together. And your response is maybe you failed the tiring, tiring test. test. I'm it, done. Yeah. <laughs> like if I if you invite me to something and I say yes and you don't immediately text me the time and place or like specifically the address. You know, Good. We're done. Failing, Goodbye. Failing the time. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I think that's it for us this week. Yeah. If you enjoyed the episode, which we definitely enjoyed making, um, feel free to let us know via whatever mechanism you want. Um, again, I will say uh, I am at Dan Gallant on both Dev2 and Twitter. And I am at Milkstars on both Dev2 and Twitter. 
and I'm gonna let Malik tell you what he thinks your week should be like, or he hopes your week should be like this this week. I hope your week is absolutely fantastic. He's lying. <laughs> All right, see you everybody. Bye.